everyone. I'm Tina. And I'm Serena. And we are the Mental Health Mamas. Welcome to No Need to Explain. We are so glad you're here. First, as always, a quick disclaimer. We come to you not as mental health professionals or experts in the field, but rather as parents with lived experience who are on a mission to normalize the conversation around mental health. If you or someone you love is experiencing a mental health crisis, please seek professional support. You'll find a variety of resources in our show notes and on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. Serena and I often talk about our mental health toolboxes and all the different things that we can add and sometimes subtract. (laughs) Uh, One of the best parts about having a podcast is that we are often adding tools to our box that we learn about from our guests. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've added so many tools during the time that we've been sharing this podcast with the world. And today we are excited to share a tool with you that was new to us and sounds like a really great addition to the toolbox. So joining us today to talk about this tool is Rohan Dixit. Rohan is a neuroscientist who studied at Harvard and Stanford, an entrepreneur and CEO and founder of Leaf Therapeutics. Rohan, welcome to the podcast. So great to be here. Thank you, guys. So Rohan, you come to us with a whole bunch of credentials um, and you've done some amazing work in neuroscience, but as is often the case, um, I'm imagining you were drawn to this field for a very specific reason. Uh, so share a little bit with us about what led you to this field. So I got into mental health because I struggled with mental health, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> maybe similar to, to other people out there. Um, yeah. As an adolescent, as a teenager, had my own challenges with anxiety and depression and was able to find a way out of it and, and continue to live and grow. Although, you know, it was a little bit of a rough go along the way. And so I've really dedicated my life to making better mental health tools for people um, that I wish I had. So I'm I'm curious, Rohan, if, um, or, or not so much if, but what was it like growing up in your house? Was mental health something that was talked about? You know, so my parents were, were both physicians. And so I, you, you might expect that because, you know, they're doctors, that was something that was, that was talked about a lot, but it really wasn't. And then, you know, I'm, I'm culturally Indian. I'm not sure that mental health is really, you know, the thing that all parents are talking to their kids about, you know, um, on a regular basis. At least that wasn't my experience. Um, although my parents are amazing and, and mm-hmm. have been so supportive and great. I think there were certain things that, that I still had struggles with. And, um, and yeah, and so I think I was lucky at the time to stumble across, you know, one of the many techniques that you guys have covered on these podcasts for improving mental health, one of which is mindfulness and meditation. And my mom had a book about that lying around the house I came across it one day, started reading it, and started practicing what was in there. And that was kind of the beginning of learning that, oh, there are techniques out there um, where you can have some, regain some control over, over your mind and, and your thoughts. And, and, um, and yeah, that was really also what inspired me to become a neuroscientist because I, I kind of felt that something must have changed my brain you know, mm. doing some of these practices. 
Yeah, so we'll circle back to a bit of that in a moment. But what I want to say is thank you for being vulnerable. And, you know, never do we want to come off on the podcast as being judgy of previous generations. We're just being observant. And I think the fact that in our day, and we're clearly older than you, but the idea that um, it isn't always normalized, even by the people who we might expect to normalize those things. So, so I appreciate your comments about that for sure. Of course, no, and I, and I just wanted to thank you guys for providing this open platform for it because I think, I mean, how are we all going to get to a place where mm-hmm. we're able to have these conversations if not by being open about it? So I just really appreciate you know the work you guys do. Oh, thanks. So we understand that you've studied different states of consciousness and what our brains look like in these different states, which I think is absolutely fascinating when I see that research. So what can you share with us about the research as it relates to our mental health? Yeah. So quick primer on the brain for anyone who hasn't, you know, hasn't spent a lot of time learning about neuroscience so our brains are made up of networks and then, you know, there's all these different parts of our brain and some of them are localized to certain places, even physically, like on our, underneath our skull, uh, in our cortex. And, and these networks, they kind of come together all at once. And so let's say, you know, you're perceiving an orange and, and you're saying, well, I've got this orange in front of me. So, you know, where's the orange part of my brain? Well, there isn't one, right? Uh, it's a network of um, of a sensory part of your cortex lighting up. So maybe that's the smell of the, the faint rind that you can kind of smell, you know, and maybe that's the sensation, the touch, the somatosensory input of feeling that orange in your hand and the roughness against your fingertips, um, the color of it, right? Your visual cortex, all of these things are coming together and creating this conscious percept and this perception, this awareness of an orange. And similarly, you know, our, our mind works as a network with many different components, generating a conscious perception together for even internal states. And so one of the first labs that I worked in was Mike Rishis' lab at Stanford. And he's one of the earliest kind of pioneers of this state of this, this field of neuroscience called the default mode. And the default mode is such an interesting um, kind of window into the human mind and consciousness because it was actually discovered by accident. Uh, Typically, when you're doing brain experiments, you're putting people in these very expensive MRI machines and, you know, these scientists (laughs) slave away for months, you know, creating the perfect experiment to go in there and get everything you need, all the right data. Um, But it turns out that somebody once left the machine reading in between experiments, in between these cognitive tasks and all the stuff that we do to try to understand the brain. And it and what kind of emerged from that was, gosh, actually, when your mind's not doing anything, it actually is doing something. That's this default mode of the human mind that is activated and and creating an internal perception, an internal state of consciousness, even without being externally focused on the on the outer world. And that is, I think, one of the one of the pieces that we engage when we do practices like mindfulness, perhaps even certain types of um, of CBT, and, and and certainly there's a variety of different self-regulation practices that that center on that network in the brain. And so uh, that's that's maybe a short primer into uh, part 
systems in the brain that support, you know, conscious perception. Hmm. It's fascinating. So, so we're going to shift a little bit now to um, the idea of heart rate variability um, and anxiety. And you've created a tool that utilizes this to support individuals in managing anxiety. So tell us how this works. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I told you that I, um, I've struggled with anxiety and, and mental health myself. And so, you know, <laughs> Um, being a scientist in this space is more than an academic interest. I wanted to actually feel better, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I'm a tinker and inventor, and a, and I love to make little gadgets, and I've done that since I was a kid. And so, um, you know, you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I'm like, well, let me let me start tinkering and trying to make a machine that can help me, you know? Um, and, and maybe because of my experience, you know, early on reading my mom's book about meditation, I initially kind of conceived of this tool as a as a aid for learning how to meditate myself, you know, without needing to necessarily, you know, read about meditation or or try to guess what I needed to do, but instead to measure what's happening inside me and and create a uh, a feedback loop to learn faster. I, I think of sometimes these these meditation machines as almost like uh, a feedback, uh, you know, imagine that you're trying to learn how to play basketball, right? And, um, well, you want to shoot the ball into the hoop, but the question is, are you able to, if you were blindfolded and shooting the ball, learn how to do that effectively? And of course the answer is no, right? You need that visual feedback. Well, you know, I did this and I did that and I changed my shot here and okay, now it went in the hoop, but the state with meditation is, is such that you really don't know when you're doing it well and you don't know when you're not doing it well, especially at the beginning stages when we all need the most support and help. And that was my experience too. So initially I started playing around with sensors that could measure brain activity. And those sensors, there's a variety of them, but one of the very accessible ones is called an electroencephalograph on EEG. And EEG is measuring, you know, it's kind of like the very short time scale electrical activity of your brain and it kind of seeps out through your skull and gets messed up a little bit, but you can measure it and you can kind of tell a little bit, uh, you have a little bit of a window to what's going on inside your brain. Um, What I discovered after tinkering with this for a while and you mentioned heart rate variability, HRV, um, was that actually there is an incredibly strong biomarker that correlates with our mental health is not in our brain. It's not between our ears. Kind of like this conceit that I had as a neuroscientist, which is that everything interesting about the mind would be in the brain. But <laughs> gosh, there's something really beautiful in the heart, and and, and, and that signal um, is what you know I've been working on now for uh, almost ten years. Mm. So, all right, let's throw the term biofeedback in here. Tell us a little bit about how. I I have known about biofeedback for a really long time and I've watched it happen. And I'm just curious how you put that into, because people may have heard of that term before, right? How do you put that in perspective with the heart rate variability and the brain activity and the breathing and the meditation? How, how, how can you relate all those? Yeah. I, I think for those of, those of you who don't know, we're listening what biofeedback is. I, in a, in a short nutshell, you know, 
early experiments with biofeedback were around fingertip temperature. Mm-hmm. And biofeedback is almost like this ability to control parts of your body that you thought were unconscious. Mm-hmm. And you do that through a technology which makes those signals kind of like amplified, louder. You can basically hear them, see them. Um, in the case of, you know, Leaf, which is this product that I work on now, you feel them through vibrations and a haptic, a haptic mode. But, but basically biofeedback is this really amazing thing, which is, which is sort of the brain's ability through conscious and unconscious means to hone in on a signal. Those first experiments that I mentioned were fingertip temperature. And if you have a really accurate digital thermometer, so it has to be accurate and it has to be in real time where you're looking at the the numbers of, you know, change up and down um, little fractions of a degree, right? If you're measuring your fingertip temperature, you can actually learn to control your fingertips temperature consciously with your own willpower. Pretty amazing mm-hmm. thing. That's biofeedback. You know, applying that to a mental health biomarker, I think was, you know, a really genius, um, a, a stroke of genius. And that um, is not, is not due to me or to our, our team now, at least. And, um, it was invented by uh, a team of scientists, you know, decades ago, um, some of whom are, you know, mentors to us today. And and they basically realized that, look, if you provide people feedback on your heart rate and the variation of your heart rate in real time, you can learn how to self-regulate this mm-hmm. physiological response. And for those of us who don't know, I mean, your mind, your your emotional state, it's not just what's in your brain, it's this interaction of your brain and your body, right? Imagine you're in fight or flight, you're anxious, you're feeling sweat beat up on your palms, your heart is racing, your breathing is uh, labored. All of these things are the physiological manifestation of, for example, anxiety. With any mental health disorder, it seems to be that there's this interplay between the mind and the body. Biofeedback is a way to get control of the body. So I I think biofeedback has its place, right? But I think there's a lot of awareness that needs to go on. And what what it seems to me that LEAF does is take a little bit of that total consciousness out of it, right? And kind of almost, uh, I don't know, it's a vibration, right? So vibrates your body into thinking, your brain into just stopping. Um, Is that... Is that fair? Is that a fair characterization or? Yeah. So, I mean, basically what it, what it does is, you know, it's really letting you know in real time how your heart rate's changing Mm -hmm. up and down. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, you know, typically when you're relaxed and you're breathing in and out, your heart rate will actually swing up and down with your breathing when you're tense, uh, you're in a high sympathetic state that doesn't happen as easily. So, so biofeedback for HRV, which, you know, again, has been done for decades. There's tons of good research on it um, for anxiety, for mental, for mental health broadly. All it really does is give you insight into how your heart's changing so that you can learn how to breathe and change your heart rhythm in real time um, when you need it, right? It's a skill that you're, that you're kind of building. Mm-hmm. So obviously this is audio, but um, I wonder if you could describe a little bit, like, what what does the device look like? And so people are wearing it, where do they wear it? That kind of thing for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. So we initially started with an Apple Watch trying to build on top of, you know, a wearable that a lot of people had. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it turns out that if you remember, you know, with biofeedback, you need two things. The signal has to be in real time, 
your brain can kind of catch it, catch it and learn how to, how to shift it. And it has to be accurate. And if it's not super accurate, you're giving your brain bad information and it never really learns how to control it well. And so that's the idea behind, that's the guiding principle behind why biofeedback tools typically want to be as accurate as possible. And for that reason, we created a, an ECG patch. So it's a little patch, you slap it on your body, um, and it's got this haptic interface built into it. So you can kind of feel these patterns and we teach you how to interpret those over you know, eight weeks. And, and at the end of that, um, hopefully, and we, we've shown this in a clinical trial and a small clinical trial, but um, hopefully at the end of those eight weeks, you're able to not only have a better sense of like, oh gosh, well, I can kind of feel in my body when I'm entering this state of anxiety, but also you can have that self-regulation piece where you're realizing how to breathe in particular ways and really how to change my heart rate, change your heart rate in particular ways in real time to modulate your emotional state. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I would say that at least that does better than, than other folks is, and this is really my pain point, like why did I even need to build this thing and give myself all this heartache? Um, but it, the tool I really wanted was a biofeedback device that would go with me throughout the day when I would need it and be able to turn on in real time mm-hmm. in those moments. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do um, because typically biofeedback for like, you know, 50 plus years has been either auditory or visual. You'll sit in a lab and you'll hear a tone go up and down or you will watch um, like a ball go up and down the screen or, I mean, that that's kind of how it's done, right? And mm-hmm. what is, <laughs> what's not convenient about that, I think for most humans, most of us humans, is that when you're stressed, you typically can't tell the world like, hey, everybody stop. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing, but it's so true. <laughs> No, and, and what's funny is that I, I've, I've been there. I actually tried to do this. And, and obviously, of course, it doesn't work, right? Of course, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. And, and this key insight that I kind of that I kind of made, and, and this is what we built into Leaf, is, you know, you can actually use haptics, vibration, this kind of invisible mode of communication to communicate biofeedback to people in real time. So mm-hmm. the Leaf device will turn on when you're, you know, HRV is low, let's say. You're typically in a higher state of, or at least risk for states of anxiety, depression, et cetera, when your HIV is chronically low. And so it will turn on in those moments and vibrate. And basically you can kind of like interact with it without needing to let anybody know around you that you're necessarily doing anything. Mm. Um, and it's, that's kind of the, yeah, that, the, this ability to have these micro interventions throughout the day that, that build up and add up and, and seem to be helpful for people. Yeah, so there is a a picture on your website, just if people, going back to Serena's question about what it looks like and where people wear it. So there is, and we'll share that in a little bit. Um, I'm curious, because you mentioned this in a previous conversation about it possibly being covered by insurance and how people might get to it. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think, you know, even based on my own experience with mental health, I accessibility was always a, a challenge and um and yeah so we made we tried to make this tool as accessible as possible it's remote you can do it mostly on your own you don't necessarily need to have a therapist or psychiatrist you know in your hometown if, if that's not something that's that's possible for you and you know unfortunately 50 percent of u.s counties don't have a uh, don't have a practicing psychiatrist and mm. it's a huge mental health backlog and, and we know this from the headlines but it's 
it's an unfortunate situation. And so, so part of what we've tried to do with LEAF is make things very accessible by design and also through regulatory mechanisms. Like, you know, we have a version of our product that's an FDA class two device, which means that it can be covered by most insurance plans now. And so you are on Medicaid, if you're on Medicare, um, most commercial plans now will cover a lease and that can help just bring the cost down for people, you know, where, where that might be the difference between taking care and just, you know, trying to carry on. Yeah, thank you. So um, talk a little bit about who the ideal user of, of this HRV wearable might be. You know, I, I'm constantly learning who the, okay. the ideal user is because I, I really just built this for myself and, <laughs> and then it turned out to help other people. So I think the ideal, the ideal person who might look at HRV biofeedback generally, so not just, not just our tool, but there is like, uh, there are other tools out there like HeartMath, for example, which has been around for many years um, and, uh, and others. And so I think for, when considering biofeedback, either as an adjunct or as a as a primary style of mental health intervention, I would say, you know, you might be interested in um, in breathing practices, in self regulation practices. Maybe mm-hmm. you've tried to meditate. Maybe you're curious about that. Um, I, I think another type of person is is the biohacker, which was again like such a surprise to us, but. There's so many people out there that aren't necessarily feeling not great. They may be feeling just fine, but they want to kind of push themselves from normal to normal. And, and so that's a different type of, of um, a person that might be interested in a biofeedback tool. Somebody who wants to understand how their emotions affect their body and learn how to use their breath really to, you know, help, <laughs> help them modulate how they're feeling and get through the day a little bit better. Um, yeah, that, at least that's, that's what I know we've learned so far. I, I, I'm sure that we'll keep learning. Yeah. Those marketing people, they're going to keep pushing you. They're going to keep <laughs> pushing you. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. So um, very powerful. And I'm curious. So we, we started this episode thinking about that uh, toolbox, right? Like what tools are in your box? And this could be one of the tools in your box. But aside from this tool for you, what other tools do you personally have in your toolbox to take good care of yourself? Well, you heard my dog. I believe he doesn't sit. <laughs> oh, one of our favorites. Yes. Healthy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. little friends are, are definitely helpful, and we get out and we we walk a lot and, mm-hmm. and hike and stuff like that. So being in nature is another one. I think, um, you know, human connection, connecting with animals, being in nature, um, things that allow you to step outside yourself, mm-hmm. even for a moment, and and kind of be and 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 drop the drop the loops that you might be you might be in typically with oh I got to do this and I got to do that and wish I had mm-hmm. done better on this and why did this person say that and uh, I mean, there's so many things and those are all valid and we have to be humans and we have to live in the world and, and that means that yes there there's a lot of details there's <laughs> still a lot of mm-hmm. stuff going on but um, anything that can can be used to let me drop that for short periods of time. It's um, I found really helpful. 
Hmm. That's great. So, so tell our audience where they can find you and uh, this device. Yeah. So you can, you can find the device. Uh, you can find a leaf at getleaf.com. That's T-E-T-L-I-E-F.com. Um, and yeah, please reach out. If anybody has questions, we uh, get back to you as soon as we can. We love talking to folks. Um, even if, you know, you're not looking to purchase a biofeedback device, but you have questions for yourself, well, we're happy to help and, and try to answer them. And we also have a team of amazing trained coaches that we work with who can also be very helpful for folks if, if they need it. Great. Rohan, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing about just one more tool we can put in our toolboxes. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Rohan. It's so podcast friends. We are as always grateful for all of you listening and supporting us. You could help us out by visiting Apple Podcasts, leave us a review while you're there, subscribe, and please share the podcast with others. You'll find more content on our website, no need to explain podcast.com. You'll find us on the socials. And we would love to hear from you. We have a voicemail number, which you'll find in the notes. You can leave us a message, share a little bit of your story, give us ideas for the podcast, or just call to say hi. And this is your gentle reminder to take good care of yourself while you are also taking care of your people. Thanks for listening. Bye.